Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and I just got back inside from taking my one-year-old on her very first bike ride. And by bike ride, I mean she was sitting in this tricycle contraption with like a handle sticking out the back, and my wife was pushing her in that. But... (laughs) The pure look of joy on her face was just probably the happiest a human being could possibly look. And isn't that how we all (laughs) look and feel when we're riding a bicycle? And the whole reason I started laughing there, which I know I'm doing the intro by myself and I'm making myself laugh, I understand. But I started laughing because I'm just imagining today's guest sitting at home listening to this being like, um, riding a bike while super fun a lot of the time can also be a miserable torture machine. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And the whole reason I bring that up is because I was just trying to imagine what it would be like going from riding your bike for the very first time to winning the race across America like today's guest, Sarah Cooper. And Sarah is from Iowa. And if you guys have listened to the podcast before, you know that I like to celebrate Iowans doing awesome things because, you know, it's kind of a, it's one of the quote unquote flyover states which is such an offensive name, being from a guy who grew up in Iowa. Uh, Yeah, man, there's like stuff going on there. So don't just fly over us. Like you guys should land. It should be a a land state, a state to land in (laughs) or whatever. We'll think of a better name. Um, But I I love when I hear about Iowans just being elite athletes and doing awesome things. Uh, you know, I, I talked of about a month ago with a couple guys who climbed Everest from Iowa, which is awesome. And, you know, we just we have we've featured a few athletes on here uh, from from the great state. So today's guest is just kind of a continuation of that theme. But just imagine this. She rode across the continental United States, the width of it, which amounted to. 3,070 miles, and she did this in 11 days, 18 hours, and 56 minutes. And so the conversation you're about to hear, uh, Sarah shares everything from how she went about training for this event to (laughs) the struggles during the event, which are like tornadoes and hailstorms and just craziness. And, you know, she talks about how much she slept, which I guess I should say rather how little she slept during the race and, you know, how how her crew tried to keep her motivated. And, you know, the thing I really wanted to get at is how does a person motivate themselves for basically 11, almost 12 straight days on barely any sleep while you're doing something incredibly hard. I mean, the more I read about the race across America, and if you don't know much about it, uh, you can look that up. Uh, the acronym is R A A M. Um, 
the more I hear about it, the more insane it sounds. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this is a good one. I'm excited to share it. Sarah was awesome. She's a mother of four and just a monster in the ultra cycling endurance scene. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you take away some nuggets of wisdom. And I know that from here on out, any bike ride I do where I'm kind of huffing and puffing, maybe sweating a bit, maybe feeling a little down on myself, a little bit of like, what are you, like, why are you doing this bike ride right now? I will just think back to what Sarah has accomplished and realize that what I'm going through is pretty much nothing in comparison. <laughs> so yeah, I hope you guys take that away too. Um, also, before we get into the interview, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my wonderful mom, who is currently in the middle of Ragbri. In fact, it's her 10th Ragbri, um, which is basically not really a race, but it's like a big party slash ride across Iowa. Um, but yeah, 10 years of that. That's pretty impressive. She calls me literally once once a rag ride in the middle of the like it'll be like four in the morning and it'll be in the middle of like a downpour or a storm and she's sleeping in a tent and she's just sore and you know hasn't had a shower in four days just miserable at the point and she'll call me and be like will you come pick me up and inevitably i won't get the phone call until like i don't know like seven in the morning and I'll call her back. And by then, she's kind of like, no, I'm good now. We're riding. So we're all good. So <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, man, uh, something could totally suck in the moment and be the worst thing ever at the time. But if you just wait it out, it'll get better. You know, there's a word in ultra running and probably ultra cycling if I ask Sarah, but it's called unbonk. And basically, let me break this down. A bonk is when you're really suffering and you don't think you can do it anymore. And an unbonk is, you know, an hour, two hours later when you uh, all of a sudden just randomly you feel good again. So just know if you're pushing yourself through something that's difficult, it'll get better. Sometimes all you ought to do is wait it out and it'll get better. Um, but yeah, that was a weird side note. Congrats, mom. 10 ragbras. That's pretty freaking cool. Hopefully I can join you, join you at some point. Which that's right. My mom listens to the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yeah. If you want to check out the rest of our episodes, make sure you guys go to iTunes. It helps us out a lot. If you subscribe, drop us a review, even if it's, you know, one sentence long, um, that says the host just rambles a bit in the intros and he says awesome and dude and sweet a lot. Even if it says that, that's cool. <laughs> uh, you can find the rest of our episodes on SoundCloud. This is episode 51 with Sarah Cooper, all about ultra cycling and the race across America. Enjoy guys. All right, today on the podcast, we have Sarah Cooper, and 
she just won the race across America, which is insane. So I decided uh, to contact her, reach out, and I'm really grateful that she uh, decided to say yes. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, okay. There's so much that I want to get into. I was reading a couple of Des Moines, uh, Des Moines Register articles about you today um, to, you know, kind of come up with kind of an outline and some questions. But just to kind of start, just in general, what was the, what was like low point, high point of the race across America? Oh, you know, I get asked that question a lot. And I think depending on my mood of the day, the low point, <laughs> the high point came. Yeah. Um, there are so many high points. It's really hard to pick just one. The whole race, as difficult as it was, was quite an incredible experience. Um, I don't know if you know the whole story, but I ended up getting Shermer's neck. Um, and so suffering through that race with that, which was just incredibly painful, um, getting towards the end of the race, we ended up riding through the remnants of a tropical storm. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just hit a low point of, like, two solid days of rain and just trying to push through that one. I could barely hold my head up. <laughs> wow. That was, that was definitely the low point. Yeah, I got to imagine that would be definitely. <laughs> do, do you train for that at all? Like, if it's a really good rainstorm, are you like, okay, I got to go out on my bike in this just to get ready? Well, living in Iowa, you know that the weather is like here. You have plenty of opportunities to train in all kinds of garbage weather. So yeah. <laughs> I am pretty comfortable in, in whatever whatever the weather dishes out. So I had all the gear for rain and stuff. It, yeah, it's just another rainy day. But unfortunately, it was like monsoon kind of rain. The kind of rain <laughs> you just would normally, normally leave your house and go right in. And there was a tornado warning. And of course, the tornado warning, I'm comfortable riding through that. You know, in Iowa, we don't go inside until we see the tornado spinning. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was dark and windy and rainy. And yeah, it was just pretty miserable. Yeah. If, if people are out there listening and they've never been to Iowa or never have lived in Iowa, you legitimately get the full spectrum of weather. Like, the coldest possible weather in the winter and then the, like, most humid, rainy craziness in the spring and summer. So fall is pretty awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, fall is awesome. And, you know, I train outside all year long, so I'm pretty comfortable riding in all of it. And I really didn't expect to see the wintertime temperatures on RAM, but we did. Oh, really? Um, in Arizona, of all places, yeah. Oh, of course. Um, of course, Arizona, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> yeah. It was 99 um, before the sunset. And it was 30 before the sun rose oh the next God. day. It was, yeah, I was literally worried that I had frostbite in my hands. Wow. It was that cold. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, that's something. In I Arizona. Mean, did you have gear with you to, you know, I, I mean, it's unexpected, but did you prepare for that? Yeah, I had, I had lobster mitts and I had shoe covers and the chemical hand and foot warmers and you know, all kinds of winter gear, but... Yeah, it was it was just unexpectedly cold. That's crazy. Okay, so what about like a high point, just in general? I'm sure the finish obviously was a very high point, but um... yeah, the finish was. It was funny. I was so tired at the finish. Everyone's like, "Oh, you must have been ecstatic." I'm like, <laughs> "No, I was more just relieved to be done and getting off my bike." Yeah. The high point was when probably when my my husband and kids surprised me on the course. Um, they were supposed to have gone to Michigan to stay with family and then we're going to travel to Annapolis and it looked like I was going to make it. 
And then I was riding through nowhere, Kansas, and I looked on the side of the road, and there's this really, really tall person standing. I'm like, God, it looks <laughs> like my son. So my son is six seven. Oh my gosh, really? And then I see, yeah, and then I realized that was my son, and my daughters were next to him, and then the other side of the road was my husband. So yeah, it was that was up in the high point that they surprised me out there, and then they they just leapfrogged me along for the rest of the course so they were there the whole oh wow half, second half of the race that's huge yeah, it was super cool yeah i've done a few endurance races i mean nothing even in comparison and we'll get into like what the race across america consists of but like when you get to an aid station or somewhere along the course and you do see your family it's it's amazing it is just the biggest boost and then it also is kind of like you almost feel obligated to put on a fake smile in a fake good mood which kind of tricks you into maybe you know gaining some energy does that make sense <laughs> yeah well my husband doesn't he and the kids don't normally come to races with me they've been to some you know we've done some destination races and stuff but there's six of us so wow. you know trying to get six of us to an event that's already expensive is is just not something we can usually do plus now that they're teenagers they've got their own life and um, so this is just totally out of the blue <laughs> and quite wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess let's kind of get into just your history, but what, what's like, how did you lead up to becoming an ultra, is it ultra cyclist? Yeah. Ultra cyclist. So I started out in triathlon, um, in my younger years, like in my twenties, I was just a really casual slow terrible runner. <laughs> um, and then, um, I picked up triathlon when we moved to Des Moines and became a little com- more competitive with that and did um, four Ironman races and um, tried a double century and had wow. great success with that. So I just moved on from that to ultra cycling. Was I it picked up gravel racing along the way too? So that's been another fun thing. Awesome. Was it just like you loved the bike portion of the triathlons? Yeah, there's no doubt that that was. Um, that was the feature in, in um, my better race. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was a decent swimmer, and I worked my way up to being a decent runner, but um, my bike split was always one of the faster ones out there, so it made more sense to just be a cyclist. Is that is that common for most people um, doing an Ironman, that, that biking is the thing they like the most? I don't know. It seems like there's, you know, there's strong swimmers and strong runners, and strong cyclists okay. it's, it's less common i think in the age group population to have somebody that's just wonderful at all three but um yeah cycling is definitely my thing yeah was it kind of one of the things where you were just like okay what's an iron man like a hundred and how much in the bike like 112 112 okay so were yeah, you like, yeah, that's a, that's a short ride. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what I say. So were you like, Oh, I did 112 miles. Now I'm going to see if I could do, I don't know, 115 or 200 miles or something like that. Well, there's just so many events out there for cycling. There's, um, you know, all kinds of double centuries and, and stuff you can do all over the country that really caught my attention. And, um, they're, they're quite interesting. They're usually in scenic places and, I don't know. Initially, I just thought, well, I could go try some of this stuff, and it'd be fun and cool to try. I didn't really expect to to do as well as I have. <laughs> That's awesome. So, what kind of uh, what kind of races have you done around the world? Um, primarily in the United States, um, but I, I've done. I started with a double century out in Death Valley, oh and um, just... yeah, and then I. I 
yeah, I just signed up for it on a whim and went and um, ended up being first overall. I finished in front of the men and the women. And wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then I've raced 24-hour events in Florida and Texas. I really like racing in Texas. That's a, that's a fun place to go. Um, last fall, I did a super cool race called No Country for Old Men, and that's <laughs> down. Um, it goes through Big Bend National Park, which yeah. I'd never had the opportunity to go through that, and that was beautiful. Um, I did the Silver State 508 out in Nevada and won that, and that was another beautiful, fantastic race. So there's just stuff everywhere that you can do. I'm yeah. looking at doing a race out in Oregon next year, so... Yeah, there's plenty to keep me busy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I I live in Colorado right now. Um, my wife and I moved out here about a year ago, and I was just taking my two daughters on like a picnic up Mount Evans, which is a road like one of the highest roads in the U.S. And as I was sitting there, I got to chatting with this couple. They're like 75 years old, probably, but he was wearing a Hammer Nutrition jacket, and it turned out that he was in town to do a a bike ride up Mount Evans and that he was, you know, he's been to nationals every year for the last like five years or something crazy for the master's age group. And, you know, listening to him just talk about all of the bike races around the United States. And, you know, I'm not necessarily into cycling right now, but like hearing him talk about that and and hearing you mention all these races kind of like piques my interest (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, it's a great sport, and even just the non-competitive rides are cool to go do. Yeah, do you ever have you ever done ragbri? Speaking of non-competitive, no, everyone asks that, and I never, I've never done ragbri. I did one day of it, um, gosh, almost ten years ago now when we first moved here. Yeah. So, and you finished. Yeah, I've in never like done more than that one day <laughs> or something. Well, the funny thing was, I mean, I was pretty new to cycling, and we did we did the eighty-mile day. Um, and I was riding with a friend and his wife on the tandem and he was pulling like this huge pack of people and I'm like struggling to stand as we on a tandem, you know, <laughs> we get into town and everybody like this, you know, the rest of the pace line comes up and they're like, Oh my God, we were drafting off a tandem. <laughs> so yeah, that was my intro to rag bright. No, we didn't, we didn't stop for food. We didn't, nothing. No, we none didn't of the fun it. stuff. It was no, he was just hammer time. That's so I'll have to go back sometime and, and do it for fun. Yeah. What is it What is it about Iowa and bike riding and cycling? There's just a great uh, cycling community here. Um, I, I feel like like once I left triathlon and enjoying cycling, it's like I've, I found my people. <laughs> They're just a great group of people, um, lots of events to do, and um, it's just a great community. There's so much good cycling here and if you ride gravel the opportunities for riding and racing are just really endless yeah can we get into that for a second because i have talked to a couple people on the podcast just who have heard of the trans iowa gravel road race and i read on the des moines register article that you yeah, that that was definitely an event, a memorable event for you. So, can you kind of <laughs> explain a bit about it? <laughs> well, you know, my one of my friends, um, Brian Terhart, got me into gravel riding a couple of years ago. He said everyone has a gravel guru, someone who leads them down the dark path, <laughs> and he was mine. And then another friend, Steve Fuller, kind of taught me everything I know about gear. And so, I jumped into uh, Trans Iowa as my first gravel event three years ago 
And um, so I've done it a few times now. And then I, I won last year. Last year the weather was was really nice. And so I finished in like 26 hours, and it was just a great ride. <laughs> this year <laughs> it was um, it was cold. It was like in the 40s during the day, and then in the 30s at night, oh my God. and just pouring pouring rain. So it was just a recipe for hypothermia. And I was so skinny going into Ram. I just, I have never struggled to keep weight on in my life, but I, I did this year with Ram and so I just could not stay warm. It was, it was, yeah, pouring down rain. And I just, I had it in my head that I could finish. And um, I ended up severely hypothermic and um, shivering on a dog bed in somebody's garage in Knoxville, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> to call for a ride. I'm like, wow, I don't really remember what happened after a certain point, but I was riding with a good friend of mine, and he made he made sure I took shelter. And he got made sure bit. you found the dog bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he like parked me in a garage, and yeah, it was it was bizarre, but um, Did yeah, you... we were both determined to finish that thing, and it just. Yeah, I kind of got out of control with the weather. That's crazy. So, did you ever? Did you like look at him afterwards? I'm like, you couldn't have found me like a regular bed. <laughs> oh no, I didn't complain. I'm just no, kidding. I was just glad to be alive. <laughs> it was such a hard day because wow, I had an asthma. I had an asthma attack earlier <sighs> um, in the event, and so I couldn't. I couldn't breathe well the whole race, and I was just so stubbornly stupid about thinking I could finish that thing. So. Yeah, sometimes you just got to know when to quit, and I definitely didn't know when to quit. Well, I also think, like, you know, having a fair amount of stubbornness is really good for an endurance sport. It is, and um, it for me, it comes with a, a big dose of optimism. I'm always optimistic that things are going to get better. So even though the weather stunk, I thought, well, surely this is going to dry up soon. <laughs> Um, or, you know, or it's only 80 miles, you know, I only get 80 miles to the finish or, you know, just all kinds of things like that, that I use to keep myself going or it can't get any worse. And it really did. It just kept getting worse. Oh, like no. the roads just completely disintegrated and we're walking through mud and, um, you know, looking at my bike after the event and like, I don't even know how this thing was rolling. It was so caked in mud and mostly broken and... <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal. But the funny thing was, is like as soon as I got warmed up, I'm like, man, that was awesome. I hope you have another one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What? Okay, so I don't, I don't actually know a lot about Trans Iowa. So where does it start? I know, I mean, I know you traverse the whole state, mostly on gravel roads or all on gravel roads. It starts and finishes in Grinnell. It's no longer oh, okay. a, a, an actual cross-state race. They stopped at a number of years ago just due to logistics. So okay. it's just um, a loop uh, or several loops, whatever he decides to do, and it starts and finishes in Grinnell. Um, so this year what he did was um, it was a giant loop that circumnavigated Des Moines. Oh, wow. So, the yeah, the funny thing was, is, as bad as it sucked, the farthest I got from home was Knoxville, which <laughs> really isn't that far. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, every year it's it's different. It changes, and you don't you don't know in advance where you're going, so you get the cue, sh- oh, the cue cool. sheets for the next section once you get to a checkpoint. So. Oh, that's really yeah. cool then. It's, it is cool. It's completely old school, and you just have to roll with what the day gives you. Yeah, and it's it's all like rolling hills, right? On the gravel road. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's always pretty hilly. Yeah. There's very little flat. You have to go in the northern sections of Iowa to get flat. And yeah. Who wants that? That's boring. No, exactly. My so it's so funny because it, it's always fascinated me because I honestly believe that the first ever like it wasn't an organized event, but my first ever exposure to endurance was on like riding my bike on the gravel roads in uh in Milton, Iowa, which is like population 60. <laughs> it's where my grandpa lived. And my dad was like, Hey, I was probably like nine at the time. And he was like, Hey, let's just go out on a, I don't know, like 20 mile gravel road ride. And I'm like, okay, this will be fine. And I remember, I still, to this day, remember how absolutely horrible and painful it was <laughs> the whole time. Well, if you don't have the right equipment, yeah, it that, is yeah. painful. But I mean, I, I ride gravel for most of my training. I would say I did probably 90% of my RAM training on gravel. Wow. So it's, you know, if you've got the right equipment, it's it's not that bad. So, what, yeah, okay. So we obviously didn't have the right, right equipment <laughs> or knowledge about, like, hydration or anything, you know? Um, and I was yeah, 10. Yeah, the important thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, so what, what would be some equipment you could use uh, to help you survive the Iowa gravel roads? Well, I run tubeless wheels, and generally wider tires are, are better. They cut down on the vibration. I have a special seat post that cuts down on the vibration that comes up through the seat. Um, you know, thicker bar tape. I wear these thick um, leather gloves to protect my hands. Those are the major things. Okay. So when you're in the midst of that and it's just absolutely brutal and you've already had an asthma attack and all that, like, what are you, what are you saying to yourself to keep going? And like, how are you treating the like mental, like mental, keeping yourself happy side of things? Um, I guess I don't, I don't ever go for happy after a certain point, I think. There's a certain point where it's about finishing and you have to really want that finish because if you don't want it, then suddenly it becomes not worth it. So um, for me, I, I haven't really ever gotten to the point where that finish isn't valuable to me. It's it's always valuable. So I never even think about quitting. Um, I don't usually have an exit plan. Um, I just think about what I need to do next to keep going. And that's really what keeps me going. Um, I try and be optimistic. Um, I love bitching about the weather. Um, <laughs> for some reason, that entertains me to complain about weather. Um, but, you know, you got to try and do it in an entertaining way so you're not dragging the group down. Yeah. You know, you got to, like, make it funny and stuff. And, and I'll, you know, I'll just do that in my head um, just to entertain myself. But doing so distracts me from what really concerns me. So like it trans I, I was really concerned about my ability to breathe. And so complaining in my head about the rain distracted me from that. So it's, I guess it's mental trickery is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, do you, so are you, are you like, do you get angry in those moments or are you trying to like keep like even keel? I'm pretty mellow anyway. Um, it, it takes a lot for me to get really angry. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I wouldn't say that I'd feel angry That's when it. things go to hell. Um, 
it's just stuff like that. I mean, that's just gravel racing. It just, it always goes to hell at some point. It's just hopefully you're far enough into it that the whole race doesn't suck. But yeah, yeah. You kind of accept that going into it. Like, Hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of things out of my control and things aren't going to go exactly right. So I'm just going to have to, you know, be flexible with how I handle these situations. Yeah. I mean, gravel racing and ultra cycling in general are more about being tough obviously you have to be very physically fit to complete the challenge but at some point it it becomes more about toughness than it is just about your fitness so um there's always going to be something that you have to do battle with or struggle with at some point in in any race really over over 200 miles yeah it's very rare to have any kind of ultra cycling event go smoothly from start to finish or at least i've never had one yeah i i bet nobody has <laughs> i can't imagine yeah I mean, <laughs> I can't think of anyone that's that's done a 500 mile race or, or longer that hasn't had some major issue to deal with. Yeah. Well, can you kind of give us an idea um, if people are listening out there and they don't fully understand what the race across America is? Can you kind of give us an idea there? Sure. Um, the race across America is um, over 3,000 miles. It starts in Oceanside, California, and finishes in Annapolis, Maryland. And you have 12 days to do it. Um, the clock never stops. So the less you sleep, the faster you get to the finish line, (laughs) essentially. Um, It's a crewed race, so you have a support crew of however many people and vehicles you decide to take with you. Um, I had a crew of 10 and three vehicles this year. Um, Most people take two bikes. Um, I break stuff, so I had four. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Jesus. And that's that's kind of the logistics of it. In a nutshell, it's it's a time trial start, so you're you're staggered as you start. And um, oh, really? So you you yeah. don't you don't all start at the same time? No, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's like it's really the coolest start line in the entire world. Um, it, this is such a neat opportunity for me to do this race. I'm still just kind of over the moon about it, but. Like, yeah, you get your moment on the start line, and it's it's just super cool. They've got, you know, you've got cameras and media, and it's like everyone's a rock star. That's awesome. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, That's... and it's it's a worldwide race. So there's, there's I think there's more people from other countries there than there are Americans, wow. or at least it seemed that way. So I met people from so many different countries. It was just a really, really cool experience. Yeah, our, I mean, so how many people do this thing? started um, there's I guess. A, ton of, a ton of teams that do it the teams start a week later than than we do and they, they catch up to the solos but um this year i think there were 38 or 39 solos okay and only only 17 of us finished wow. it was a rough year yeah are you ever like riding with anybody else doing the event or are you mostly by yourself the whole time um, usually when I did race across the West, it seemed like we leapfrogged with people and, and saw people quite a bit. Um, this year I didn't really see too many other racers. I leapfrogged with one guy towards the beginning, um, a, a racer from Czechoslovakia. And then, um, we're allowed to ride with another racer for 15 minutes if you happen to, um, be in the same area. So I, I was able to ride with another um, uh, of the solo males, Tom, Thomas McKenna. And so I got to talk with him and we're allowed 15 minutes. So we had our 15 minutes to talk and then we had to separate. But, um, for a really large portion of the race, I was in this bubble, you know, where I didn't see anybody. It was just me and my crew 
and the officials we saw along the way. So it was it was kind of weird um, not seeing other racers, but then you can get online and know where they are, yeah. so you know how, you, how you're doing in the race. But yeah, it was just us out there for a very, very long time. Yeah, weird connection if you've listened to the podcast before. Um, I had a guy on... Um, and I called him my kind of cousin cause we both have the same uncle, uh, but his name's Scott Morris and he actually runs the software that does the GPS, uh, for bike across America. Um, okay. yeah, so that's why you can see people. So I don't know. I just saw that I emailed him and I'm like, Hey man, do you do this race? Cause he does a whole bunch of races, uh, you know, kind of tracks them and everything. So he said yes. And I was like, Oh, that's a weird connection. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so how how often are you seeing your crew? Like, is it every couple hours or a couple times a day? No, they're with me constantly. Um, I I always had two vehicles with me at all times, and then the third vehicle took the off duty crew to go sleep. Um, there's parts of the race where they they have to be directly behind you, um, going across parts of in, uh, Arizona up to um, the Colorado border, even across Utah. They have to be directly behind me. They're not allowed to leave me. Okay. Um, just due to traffic traffic concerns. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of crazy drivers there. So um, it's definitely necessary. Um, and then other parts, they're required to just leapfrog. And so I might not see them for, um, you know, 10 minutes at a time. But really, with the two cars that I had near me, I was really never alone. They did a really, really good job with that and keeping me safe. That's awesome. So what were their kind of responsibilities? I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, what were their responsibilities? And did you, like, delegate certain things to certain people? Yeah, in, in the follow car, you have uh, the driver who does really nothing but drive. Um, one guy navigates, and then the person in the back seat typically is is the nutrition person. Okay. Um, so you know they mix my bottles and stuff, and um, we use a communication device called a Cardo. So basically, there's a hat with a headset, and then it gets passed around to whoever feels like talking to me or needs to talk to me, and that's how we all communicate. That's kind of nice. Are you talking about anything besides just like logistical stuff? Are you just like, hey, I need, I need to have a conversation right now? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of varied. Um, There's there's definitely a lot of entertain the writer conversation, um, and just you know them saying positive things and just trying to you know keep me keep me motivated and keep me from falling asleep, mainly. Yeah. You know, and then the other the other vehicle we had with us um was the the van that I slept in. And so there were two people in that that would, you know, drive that ahead and park it when they needed to either change clothes or sleep or whatever. So, you know, sometimes sometimes they would take turns talking to me too. Okay. So was, you know, it's a long race. There's just you run out of stuff to talk about. Yeah, I guess I'll probably say in the intro, but it took you eleven days, eighteen hours and fifty six minutes, correct? Yeah, yeah, it felt like forever. Yeah, I have to imagine because how much sleep are you getting per day? Um, it was just over two hours oh a day. So it's fine, actually. Really? Um, I function on, yeah, I function on very little sleep as it is. Um, when I'm training heavily, 
I, I'll get six hours okay. if I'm not. I'm, I'm a four to five hour kind of person. So two hours was, I mean, it's, you know, it sucks. You're, you're, you're not super alert, but I, you know, I was fine for most of them. I didn't really, I don't know. I wasn't out of it. Like some people get. Yeah. Did you, so, I mean, I guess you just were kind of used to little sleep. Did you do anything else to like train for it? Like sleep, sleep deprivation wise? No, I don't think you can really train for it. I mean, your body doesn't, doesn't get used to not sleeping, um, the races that I've done prepared me to deal with that better. I think, um, until Ram, I had never slept during a race. So, um, the longest okay. race I'd done prior to that was race across the West, which took me two and a half days. So I went two and a half days with a 10 minute nap. Wow. wow. <laughs> you know, I was pretty well prepared to deal with what sleep deprivation does to you. Yeah. What does it do do to you specifically? Are you seeing things or like I don't know? Um, I will I will hallucinate if it's also cold, and I'm I'm depleted. You know, if I'm over 24 hours into event and it gets really cold, I'll start seeing stuff. And I did I did hallucinate for a while in Arizona when it got down into the 30s, wow. and and that's actually quite entertaining to me. I don't find <laughs> it scary at all. It's like oh wow. I got stuff to look at. This is cool. <laughs> what were you seeing? So it's, it's actually um, just like the vegetation morphs into different animals or people or things. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just all very bizarre and weird. And um, you know, I understand that it's not real, and so I just kind of enjoy the show until it goes away. That's kind of that's good. <laughs> that's once, good... once I yeah, once I warm up and and get some rest, or you know. Get, get off the bike for a little bit, it, it, it stops. And that was really the only place I, I remember that I hallucinated. But otherwise, um, I don't know, just trying to sort out how much sleep I needed on RAM took a couple of days. I, I actually fell asleep on my bike quite a few times and, and hit the dirt oh, wow. until we figured out, we, you know, we got into a good routine with sleep and stuff. I, I would take a nap in the morning of 20 minutes and then the long sleep was 90 minutes and then another nap of 20 minutes. So, wow, you know, that was kind of it. And then I didn't sleep at all the first day and a half. And then the last day I also um, just napped. I only took like a couple 20 minute naps and a 10 minute nap. So I just, I just wanted to be done. I yeah. didn't want to be sleeping. I wanted to be done. <laughs> <laughs> so does it feel like just one big day then? No, it was definitely broken up into days. I mean, I, I cut some something of a circadian rhythm, and um, there there were a few points during the race that I was confused and thought I was on a training ride, but my crew never knew that. I, I sorted that out on my own. <laughs> You're like, wait a second, I'm not. Yeah, I was always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I'm on Ram. This is not a training ride for Ram. <laughs> but it was always extremes like extremes of temperature when that would happen it was always either you know 98 degrees or 30 otherwise you know if it was your, your garden variety day i didn't i didn't really have too much trouble with confusion i kept my mental stuff together it's just you're just not very animated and i don't know like emotions are all very flat for me um like i don't know we had a crew member that liked to dress up in costumes and I think she wanted me to laugh, and it's like, no, oh, I have the energy. Like in my head, I'm like, hey, that's funny, but I, I can, you know, I just, 
It's like nothing comes out, you know. You might think something's funny, but yeah, you're not smiling or laughing or nothing. You just give like a, the most serious thumbs up of all time, so they know like it's appreciated. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I try to smile because inside I'm smiling, but yeah, like actually making the face work. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. Yeah, I have to imagine what what other attempts. Was there any memorable um, attempts to boost your morale? Oh, gosh, they were, my crew is a riot. I can't imagine a funnier group of people. They're funny just on your average day, and on Ram, they were kind of over the top. Um, this uh, one crew member that brought costumes, one day, I mean, they, they all got into them at some point, and there's <laughs> one day we were out in the middle of nowhere, and there's my crew chief. He's no longer driving the car. He's standing on the side of the road in a coconut bra. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? You know, and they, yeah, they were wearing disco tops and pulling their shirts up and slapping their bellies, and it was just That's hilarious. Just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, they were they were all very funny. That's funny. It just you know once once I got to Pennsylvania, like yeah, I just didn't find anything funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we all wanted to be done. They were tired. I was tired. Yeah. Yeah. What what states did you actually go through? Um, California, Arizona, Utah. Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. I okay. think that's all of them. Okay. Did you have a like favorite state or favorite, you know, couple states? There were parts of every state that I just loved. Um, Ram was amazingly beautiful. And when I did Race Across the West, I didn't realize that the best parts of Ram come after Race Across the West. Um, part, I guess part of the, the benefit of being, being slow and in pain was <laughs> I ended up in some of these places during the day that I had anticipated going through them at night. And one of them was Kuchara Pass in Colorado which is just the most beautiful place I've ever seen. I loved riding that. And as miserable and in pain as I was from my neck, I was like, that was one of the happiest days I had on Ram. And um, even towards the end, Appalachians, there's there's um, these climbs called the Four Sisters, which everyone talks about how hard they are. And I just, I mean, I had a really good day there. It was sunny and 70 and beautiful. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the nicest day we'd seen, yeah. But... There were parts of Missouri that, that just suck. They ride you um, on the highway there. But then when you get off the highway, you're just in these beautiful back roads, um, very scenic. Um, fortunately, you know, some of them were low traffic, some of them weren't. But um, parts of Indiana were also great and Ohio. Just a lot of, lot of beauty that I, I didn't expect. You know, when I studied the route book, it doesn't really – didn't really give you a clue as to what you're in for. And it, it was, it was far better than I imagined. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's crazy. Like, you know, when, if you're driving across the country, you're on the interstate the whole time. And I, I always just think of like when I drive from Iowa to like Denver, right. I'm just driving through Nebraska, but I'm on the interstate. And so, you know, you're always like, Oh, Nebraska's so boring. Like, when are we at through this state? <laughs> and uh, I'm sure if I, dr- you know, started driving down the country roads there, I would find the beauty of that area, you know. So if they're taking you off the beaten path a bit, I got to imagine, like, it's just blowing your mind all the amazing places you're encountering. 
Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, when you're riding across the country, they they just they have to route you on some of those major roads, and frankly, some of them just suck. Like yeah. you know, you're riding, you leave you leave Borrego, which is another beautiful place in the desert, and then you get on this crappy highway to Brawley, and I tell you, no one signs up for Ram to ride to Brawley. <laughs> 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 the Salton Sea, it sounds like it's going to be beautiful, but frankly, it just stinks. And, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of bugs. And it's like, it's just one of those places you just have to ride through to get to the good stuff Yeah. Um, on the other side. And, you know, there were definitely parts like that. And, you know, that Highway 54 that we have to ride in, in Missouri. And there's just a lot of roadkill and, and 70 mile an hour traffic, oh gosh, you know, so three terrible. feet from your shoulder. Yeah, so those parts really suck. But, you know, there were some other you know, the other beautiful parts to balance that out. Yeah. How do you handle those things that are kind of out of your control? Like, do you have a mantra going into it or like, are you just kind of like, I got to get past this, (laughs) this part? (laughs) Well, the traffic in particular is, I mean, that's just really hard to deal with because I mean, you know how it is. Drivers just don't really care about about a human life on the road. It's scary too. Yeah. It is. It's terrifying. And there's, there's some, where you know the cars would do their best to coexist with you and going through colorado you're really there's not even a whole lot of shoulder there to ride on so you're you know you're descending it over 40 miles an hour and there's a car right off your shoulder so you know for me coming from iowa i don't really do that kind of riding except when i'm racing anyways (laughs) i have a car right there that was i mean it in a way, I, I feel really proud that I was able to do that because inside it was like, oh, my God, there's a car <laughs> off my shoulder. You know, you just want to freak out and go, <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah. But you can't. You really have to keep your act together and stay calm and focused. Otherwise, you're going to crash your bike. So, um, yeah, for me, I just I, – a lot of times I just try and pretend it's not happening. But um, sometimes you just can't. There were a couple times when, you know – uh, motorhomes cut in too close to me and I literally like screamed in terror <sighs> and it, yeah you just but you just keep going um I got the speed wobbles I think it was in Arizona and and the Ram Media crew caught it all too they were taking pictures of me while my bike's wobbling oh <laughs> and um this, you know I just stopped just, and my crew was, that's just yeah. wobbling from going too fast yeah, I've got this one bike, and honestly, it's never gone down a mountain again. This is the second time it's done it to me. Um, there's just something with the bike. It, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it is what it is, and that bike can't go down a mountain anymore. But, you know, we stopped, and my crew ran out with another wheel in case it was the wheel and cranked on the headset. And and then I had to go again. You know, what do you do? Yeah. You can't, like, I don't want to do this. No, you just get on your bike and you go, and that's just that's just what you do. So, um I don't know. I did a lot of mental preparation, really, even before I got anywhere close to tackling Ram, just yeah. going into some of these other 500-mile races that I did that had, you know, similar stuff. So, I mean, mentally, I was pretty prepared for all that crazy stuff that can happen to you out there, and you just you just deal with it and keep going. Yeah, you just got to go with the flow. Do your, do your kids, like, are there... Do they just brag about their mom all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> they, they might now. This is really the first chance they've had to see me in action, and I don't think they really got at all like how good I was at this until 
their friends at school started saying, hey, did you, I heard your mom does this. And that none of that really started until after, until after I won race across the West. Yeah. And nobody really knew who I was or knew that I had course records or any of that stuff. Do you, Just another mom. do they like going on bike rides or, or like what are, they used to. are they into it? <laughs> Not really. They're they're into other stuff. Yeah. Um, they used to go on kind of casual rides and stuff with me, and my son was a bike commuter um, to school for a while, and um, he drives now. And so they're not they're not super into into cycling. Yeah. But you know, maybe someday I've introduced them to it, and I didn't torture them with it. So I'm hoping someday when they get older, they'll they'll remember it. Yeah. That's kind of like I mean, as a parent, and you know, I. I think about that question a lot. Like, how do I introduce my kids to things I like, but not be overbearing, I guess. Um, you know, and cause I remember my childhood doing things that I didn't necessarily like, but I'm glad my parents exposed me to them cause I ended up growing to enjoy them, you know? Uh, so yeah, I think that's huge. So yeah, I mean, the, my daughter, I'd taken her hiking before, and she didn't particularly like it the first time, and then we had a chance to do some of that on vacation, and she loved it. Yeah. So, you know, now she wants to do more of it. It's like, well, great. So, you know, we've got something else to pick up and do together. So, you know, maybe someday they'll, they'll get back into cycling. Yeah. What about um, your husband? Is he into it? No. No, he hates bikes. Really? Um, <laughs> he has no interest in biking and honestly for me that's worked out well from a training standpoint i don't have anyone else lobbying for the the 5 a.m training slot you know yeah yeah I can kind of get up and do my own thing and all of the bikes in the house are mine i have all of the prime parking spaces i don't have to share with anybody so you know I, <laughs> he's in the martial arts and he's got his thing so that's awesome yeah like that's that's really cool and so you mentioned the 5 a.m training time uh how do you like I train at that time in the morning too, and it never seems to get easier waking up. How do you, how do you handle that? Like when the alarm goes off and you might not necessarily want to go out. Oh, I always want to go out. You always? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm a morning person and I wasn't always that way in my twenties. I, I would sleep until noon, one o'clock and I worked afternoon shift for Oh, gosh, a number of years. So, you know, I used to not get up before 10. Um, and then once I had kids, I don't know what, what happened. Once I hit 35, I just I quit sleeping. So, um, you know, what do you do when you're up at 3? Do you just struggle and try and go back to sleep, or do you get up and do something? So yeah. that's that's when I started working out early. So even even now, like all for all of this ultracycling stuff, I get up at 3 and usually be on the bike by 4 or 4.30. You know, I'm up doing stuff around the house, doing laundry. So I'm up, I'm always up early. Wow. That's awesome. So that's your, I mean, do you ever train during the day or in the afternoon? Yeah, sometimes, especially if I have a long ride. Um, but, you know, I'll get up and I'll leave at 4.30 and I might not be home until dinner time. Wow. So, yeah, then I'm, then I'm out during the day. Um, but, yeah, sometimes I'll knock out an evening ride. But, Usually it's just better if I get it done in the morning because if I'm home during the day, then people find things for me to do. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, busy doing other stuff. So, and if that happens, I miss my training ride. So it's just better to get it done. Yeah. Are you when you miss a training ride? Are you like, does that upset you, or are you just like, well, this is that happened. It's no big deal. 
Um, yeah, no, I'm usually not very happy about it. Yeah. I, yeah. That's why I'm just driven to get it done. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't like missing rides. It's, it's physically, it's just, it's, it's very important for me to, to do something. I'm not, I'm not a sit around and watch life go by kind of person. I like to be active and I don't feel right if I'm not active. So even when we go on vacation, if we don't, if I don't have a bike, I, I gotta have something physical to do. So um, fortunately, this vacation I didn't take a bike, but we had hiking, so yeah. so I was happy and I felt okay. You know, otherwise I just I don't know I'm antsy and. Oh, I, I hear you. I'm sure I, so many people can relate to that. <laughs> you know, I can't sit and enjoy the view unless I've hiked ten miles to get there. You know, it's just uh, yeah. It's because it's so much better. Energy. The view is so much better once you earn it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's just not the same when you when you drive to get to it. Yeah. It's not the same. One hundred percent. That's like that should be the mantra of any endurance athlete, you know, like <laughs> you gotta earn the view. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while to get to that though. I mean, you know, I'm in my mid forties, so my childhood was in the seventies when everyone deserves a break today kind of mentality and there's just there weren't active people where I grew up. You know, there there were joggers and you know they were referred to by the people driving the cars as 10 points so you know it, it kind of took me a while to get into an active lifestyle and i didn't really discover it until i moved away yeah wow okay so once you like real quick to kind of wrap things up how did you feel the last i don't know like 100 miles of the race um, that was probably the hardest part of the race for me. Just, it was, it was boring. The traffic was picking up. Um, I had crashed during the night. So not only was, you know, my neck all messed up and I could barely hold my head up anymore. It was like, now I'm in even more pain because the whole right side of my body hurt. And yeah, it was just, it was just felt like it was never going to end. And whenever I have nightmares about the race, it's that last hundred miles. Like I'm never going to be done with this. It's never going to end. Wow. So can you explain a little yeah. bit about your neck? I didn't fully understand. Uh... I developed a condition called Schirmer's neck, and it was named after the first um, unfortunate soul to experience yeah, poor, that on Race Across America. And it's basically when the muscles of your neck give out and weaken. Um, in my case, it happened um, because the first 1,000 miles we rode into a headwind. And um, my whole body mechanics change when I ride into a headwind. And, and having a headwind in that particular part of the country is just, it, it's, it's not the norm. Normally there's a southwest wind that pushes you and now we had headwinds. Oh so it's just, it's stressed my head and neck in a way that, that I was just obviously not prepared to handle, I guess. And, um, so by late Colorado, my neck muscles were starting to give out. And when they put me on my time trial bike in Kansas, I think I rode it for less than 20 miles when I said, get me off this thing. Um, which, which is kind of amazing because I love that bike and I usually have no trouble riding that thing. I've ridden it for two 24 hour races now and not had a bit of trouble with my neck. So it was really just a bad combination of, of weather and, and wind conditions that stressed me out. Um, so yeah, I basically fought, fought that for the next 1500 miles or more. How long, how long to afterwards did it take to like get back to normal, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say it's quite back to normal yet, but it's, it's functional and I'm not walking around looking like a vulture anymore, yeah. but 
um, yeah, I mean, to get through the event, I used I used a tens unit, which you know zaps you <laughs> to, to keep the muscles from wow. spasming. And then um, one of my crew members was a massage therapist, so that was pretty key in in keeping me going with those two things. I managed to get to the finish line, but by the end of it, it was like you know what started out as is pain eventually progressed to weakness, and so. You know, starting in Pennsylvania, I was doing a lot of riding, letting my head loll back, and I'm looking at the sky. <laughs> I didn't have to hold the damn thing up. You know, and you have no no bike handling skills. So, you know, you just, you know, I hit these railroad tracks and went down like a ton of bricks because there is, I mean, there's no skill there to get your bike back on course. And, yeah, so that last 100 miles was, was quite painful. You know, I think I have a whole new reference for pain you know there's childbirth and then there's ram yeah so. <laughs> and and rims way way more painful <laughs> yeah it was definitely much longer yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go childbirth generally doesn't take 11 days so um no wow so i i read in the des moines register article which was awesome there's two of them right there's one before yeah, one yeah there's after. a couple now and they're great so th- there's a quote that you said you had uh, there's never any question that you'd hang up or give it up. Um, and I find with the people I've talked to on the podcast who have done these seemingly insane endurance events, like that's a common theme uh, amongst them. So what what forges that grit in you? Yeah, I you know, I don't know. I just, I detest the idea of quitting. Um, there were times when I wondered if I would make it. Um, but I never doubted my ability to persist. You know, I I never thought I would quit. I never even thought about quitting. It was like, okay, what do I have to do next to get to that finish line? Because that finish was so important to me. I just, I couldn't imagine not doing that. And, And it's not just for me. It's for, you know, my family, my community, my crew members. Really all they get out of this is, is the finish, you know, and their, their time on the stage. So, there's there's just no no reason to quit. I mean, I couldn't just like, oh well, my neck hurts. Let's go home and try it another year. I just yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I'm not a quitter, and just couldn't imagine doing that. I mean, certainly it could have progressed to the point where okay, now I can't hold my head up and I'm not safe to ride, and they would have told me I'm not able to ride. But yeah, and no, I wasn't ever going to say I'm done. That this wasn't going to happen. So, so awesome. I think you have to decide that before you start, though. If you don't, if you don't know that in your heart, and you're not willing to do whatever it takes to finish, then you'll find an excuse to quit, and you'll quit. That's perfect. Well, Sarah, that's an awesome place to wrap it up. So, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was so awesome, and you know, I'm sure you have some other crazy challenges planned, or you know. Maybe you're just resting from crazy challenges at this point. Oh, no. No, I'm signed up for more crazy. Are you really? <laughs> <laughs> like the week after. <laughs> that's nah, I, I got three more weeks to get ready for it. I'm good. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> what, what, what's that? Um, I'm doing a team gravel event, and then later in August I have gravel worlds. And then I'm already talking about what ultra races I'm going to do in September and November. So that's awesome. Yeah. The craziness continues. Obviously. Obviously. Well, yeah, we'd love to catch up with you in the future then. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. All right. Super awesome to be able to talk to Sarah. 
And I just got to say, like, I'm reevaluating my own thoughts on how tough I was <laughs> after listening to her story. That is insane. The whole injury with the neck thing, I didn't even know existed. And just trying to imagine pushing through extreme just pain and, you know, agony for a, almost two weeks while you're riding, while you're doing something incredibly hard on your body. And then you add in zero, basically zero sleep. That just, I think she's the toughest person I've ever talked to. Just throwing that out there. That's insane. Sarah, you're awesome. You're inspiring. You are just kind of like the definition of grit and a word that I might be making up right now, but badassery. And yeah, keep at it. That's amazing. I, I hope we can catch up with her in the future and you know hear more of her incredible stories from the world of ultra cycling. Um, yeah, that would that would rock. Um, I did want to kind of share with you guys just a few notes here and there, and I meant to actually write these down, and then I didn't. So I'm gonna to try to go off my memory here. Um, just a couple of cool things going on in the Like a Bigfoot community. Uh, we have some people, some previous guests running Ironmans. Um, we have our guest number one, number one in our heart, number one in our mind, Brady Manriquez. He sent me this really cool text the other day um, that he received from his dad about how his dad has been inspired by him. <laughs> to get in shape and wake up early and eat healthy. And he made his dad do a 5K in Chicago. And I guess he just absolutely loved it. So he's trying to make some positive changes. So shout out to Mike Manriquez. You're the man. Um, yeah, and then I guess the other thing I wanted to share real quick is I got a book suggestion from another previous guest, Calvin Johansson, and it's called The Four Agreements. And I'm listening to it on audiobook, so I don't know if I can say I'm reading it necessarily, but I'm just going to say that I'm reading it. And basically the idea here is, you know, you as you grow up, there's so many things that are kind of programmed into you. And some of them are useful and some of them are not. Uh, most of them are not necessarily really useful tools. And so the author proposes, and as I'm reading this, I'm trying to find the author, sorry. Uh, his name is, or her name, drum roll, is Don Miguel Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. Um, he proposes four agreements. And so the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word. And so that means... Like basically your word is powerful. What you say is powerful. And, you know, this is something I'm choosing to remember as I'm preparing to start another school year where I'm teaching, you know, kids who are forming their opinions of themselves and what I say could have a major effect on them. If I say something negative to them or about them, it might 
you know, we've all had teachers in the past who have said something to us that maybe they didn't even mean, but it was just a side comment like, oh, you're, this art that you drew is really bad or something like that to that effect. And then we just think to ourselves like, oh, like maybe we can't, maybe I'm not good at art, which might not necessarily be true at the time. And it helps you, it makes you form this opinion about yourself that may or may not be true. So say only what you mean. So be impeccable with your words. Say only what you mean. I'm just reading this off of something. So, uh, you know, um, don't use your word to speak against yourself or to gossip and basically just trying to use the power of your word to do what we're doing on this podcast, which is trying to spread goodness. Uh, so that's the first agreement. The second one is just don't take anything personally, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. Three is to don't make assumptions, which is actually a really hard thing not to do. Um, this one's all about really clear and concise communication with your loved ones, with yourself, uh, with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers. Like, don't assume they're gonna understand your intent or understand what you are speaking about. Um, you have to be clear with your communications. And then the last one is, I like this one, is always do your best. So, you know, whatever you're gonna do, you might not necessarily be the best, but you can do your best. And so make that commitment in whatever you're doing to just do the absolute best you possibly can do in that moment. Um, so yeah, you should check that book out if you're interested. They go in more detail, obviously. Um, but it's called The Four Agreements by that name that I just read, which is Don Miguel Ruiz. R-U-I-Z. I don't fully know how to pronounce that last name. Um, yeah, guys. Uh, come back next week. Share the podcast. I love this. This is awesome. Like I said, this is... What other reason would I have to talk to this like really cool, awesome, inspiring person? So selfishly, I'm loving the podcast. It's giving me a platform to, you know be able to have these conversations. Unselfishly, I'm also enjoying just being able to share these people's ideas because a lot of the people we've talked to on the podcast are just incredible, inspiring people. And so if you guys are liking this, I would love it if you shared it, told someone about it, you know, did all that fun stuff. <laughs> so spread the word, spread the word and uh, we'll keep putting these out and, uh, you know, trying to bring you some good stuff every week. All right, guys, uh, we'll get back at you next week. Peace.